Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the verses 1 through 6. Let us hear God's holy word. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear, what the Spirit says to the churches. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, do you like to go to zoos? Well, many people do, especially children. They enjoy seeing live animals up close in a recreation of their natural habitat. It helps them to connect with nature. And it's fun. Well, now imagine going to a zoo where all of the animals were stuffed. They look exactly like the real thing, but they don't move. They just stand there because they are dead. Well, this was the case with the church at Sardis. Here was a church that appeared to be alive, but it was dead. It was stuffed. It was a church full of zombies. And it's to this letter, to this church, that we turn our attention with God's help today. Our theme is Christ's letter to a dead church. And we'll consider, first of all, the problem he identifies, secondly, the call he issues, and thirdly, the encouragement he offers The words of our text were written to the church at Sardis. Sardis was located approximately 30 miles southeast of Thyatira and 50 miles east of Ephesus on the western terminus of the Persian Royal Road, the main road to the ports along the Aegean Sea. The city was divided into two parts. There was an upper city, which was built on the top of a mountain, Mount Timolus, and the lower city, which was built in the sloping plain below the mountain, overlooking the fertile Hermas Valley. The upper part of the city, called the Acropolis, was a military stronghold, and it was protected on three sides by sheer cliffs, making it virtually impenetrable. 
During the 6th century BC, the city became the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia, which at the time was ruled over by the wealthy king Croesus. Economically, Sardis was a prosperous center of trade. It was famous for its manufacture of wool. It was also a center of metallurgy, especially gold and silver, which a nearby river carried right into the heart of the city. In fact, during the reign of King Croesus, so much gold was smelted in Sardis that his name became synonymous with wealth. To say that someone was as rich as Croesus meant you had so much money you did not know what to do with it all. Now regarding the church in this city, not much is known. An ancient tradition says it was founded by the Apostle John, but there's no way of knowing that for sure. All we know is that it was one of the seven churches in Asia, and it's to this church that the letter contained in our text is addressed. Now, unlike the letters to the other churches, our Lord does not say anything positive about this particular church. There's not a single word of commendation. Why is that? Well, Jesus tells us. Because for all of its appearances, this church was dead. He says in verse 1, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now you'll notice, unlike some of the other churches we've examined so far, the church at Sardis was not suffering persecution, at least not as far as we know. Nor was it under attack by false teachers. The problem with this church was it was dead. It was spiritually dead. Now strangely, on the surface, however, this church appeared to be very much alive. And Jesus says as much. He says, you have a name that you are alive. And that means that outwardly, at least, this church continued to function as a real, true church of Jesus Christ. They held worship services, and the worship services were well attended. The church was ministering to the needs of the poor, both within and outside of its walls. It was active in evangelism. The pastor was faithfully preaching and and preparing his sermons. The elders of the church were doing their visits. There was no division in the church. In many respects, this church was a model for other churches to follow. But it was dead. It was spiritually dead. This church was doing everything a church was supposed to be doing, but their heart was not in it. They were just going through the motions. The Puritan Matthew Henry writes this, and I quote, This church was not really what it was reputed to be. They had a name to live, but they were dead. There was a form of godliness, but not the power. A name to live, but not a principle of life. If there was not a total privation of life, yet there was a great deadness in their souls and in their services. A great deadness in the spirits of their ministers and a great deadness in their ministrations, in their praying, in their preaching, in their converse, and a great deadness in the people in hearing, in prayer, and in conversation. What little life was yet left among them was in a manner expiring, ready to die. End quote. 
Now, to be sure, not all of the members of this church were dead. In verse 4, Jesus says, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. This is a figurative way of saying that there were a few, but notice only a few, members of this church who have kept themselves free from sin and were spiritually pure and alive. But for the most part, this church was dead. There's something ironic about this. One of the most significant features of the city of Sardis was its massive necropolis or cemetery. In fact, Sardis was known as the city of a thousand hills because of the many burial grounds that marked its skyline. When Jesus says that the church of Sardis was dead, he may have had this very thought in mind. As one commentator put it, Sardis was a very peaceful church. It enjoyed peace, but it was the peace of the cemetery. And there are many churches like the church at Sardis still today. Most of them can be found in mainline liberal Protestant denominations. They have beautiful church buildings, stained glass windows, tall stone spires, and great big pipe organs. They do a lot of work in the community, especially when it comes to promoting human rights and caring for the poor and homeless, but they do not preach the gospel. Nor do their works proceed from a true living faith in Jesus Christ. They're basically community organizations with a veneer of religion. And as a result, they appear to be alive, but in fact, they are dead. And it raises the question, what about your church? Is your church a living church, or is it a dead church? Or is it perhaps on the way to becoming a dead church? You may ask, what are the signs of a dead church, or what are the signs of a church that's in danger of becoming dead? Well, in 2014, Thomas Rayner wrote a highly acclaimed book titled Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And in this book, Rayner identifies several signs of a dead or dying church. Let me list them for you. First of all, there is living in and glorying in the past. Always talking about the past. Always talking about how much better things were in the past. Secondly, A refusal to adapt to the needs of the present community. Stubbornly refusing to change and adapt, clinging at all costs to the status quo. Thirdly, a moving the focus of the budget inward. Spending more money on ourselves and on our comfort than on others. Fourthly, allowing the Great Commission to become the Great Omission neglecting the work of missions and evangelism, witnessing and outreach. Fifthly, letting the church become preference-driven out of selfishness and personal agendas. Sixthly, failing to have times of regular corporate prayer. Seventh, having no clear purpose or vision. And eighth, obsessing over the facilities. Well, let me ask you, are any of these things true of your church? Do these things characterize your church? You know, your church may have many things going for it. You may have a beautiful building. You may have good preaching, a faithful pastor and elders, many good programs. But does it come out of a heart of love for God and for his people? 
If not, you're no better than the church at Sardis. You have the appearance of being alive, to be sure, but you are dead. And if that is so, then we must listen carefully, for the Lord has something to say to us today. And that brings us to our second point. Although this church at Sardis was dead, Christ in his mercy did not leave her to rot and decay. Instead, he called out to her. And he did so in the form of four commands. The first command is be watchful, verse 2. Now this could also be translated as wake up. The implication of this command is that some of the believers were not completely dead, but they were fast asleep. They were simply coasting along spiritually, oblivious to their danger. And the Lord knew this. And so he commanded them to wake up. It's possible that in issuing this command, our Lord was alluding to a significant event in Sardis' past. During the 6th century BC, Sardis was conquered by the Persians because one of its soldiers had fallen asleep while he was on guard duty. And so when Jesus tells the church to wake up, they must have known exactly what he meant. The point is, this church was sleeping. And the members of the church had to wake up and fast. And maybe the Lord is saying the same thing to some of you today. Some of you may be fast asleep spiritually. You may be going to church, but that's about it. You're not growing. You're just coasting along. You're complacent. You're satisfied with the status quo. You're satisfied with just going through the motions of religion. Your heart isn't in it. And to you, the Lord says today, wake up. Unless you wake up, you will find yourself in the greatest danger. For the enemy may come and take away your life. Secondly, our Lord commanded this church to strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Now, what are these things? What are the things that must be strengthened and are about to die? Well, they are the works that this church did in his name. And that's clear from what follows. After saying, strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die, our Lord adds the reason, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, the word perfect here doesn't mean without flaw. It means complete. And so our Lord is saying to this church that their works, that is, the things that they do in his name and for his glory, are not complete. They're lacking in some way. Either because they did not complete what they had intended to do, or they did not do it with all of their heart, or out of love for God and for his glory. One commentator writes this, and I quote, Though the quantity of their works was deficient, it is more likely that it was the quality of their works that was most lacking. They had grown content with a mediocre, halfway, comfortable, and convenient Christianity. Their faith was not radical. It was almost invisible. The lost among whom they lived, worked, and prayed saw nothing different or unique about them. The culture did not oppose them. It simply ignored them as of no real consequence or significance. They were so weak in their confession of Christ 
that they bothered no one. Like the unfinished temple of Sibylle in their city, they too were incomplete in what Christ saved them and called them to be. And our Lord knew this. And that's why he calls in this church to strengthen or to make complete the things that remain, the things that they were still in the process of doing but were on the verge of dying. Thirdly, Jesus says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Verse 3. Our Lord here is referring to the things that they received and heard from the apostles, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to remember these things, meaning they were to call them to mind. They were, they were to hold on to them and keep them. And most of all, they were to practice them. What is more, they were to remember how they received and heard these things. That is, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry, whom I quoted earlier, says they were to remember not just what they heard, but how they heard. What impressions the mercies of God had made upon their souls at first. What affections they felt working under their word and ordinances. The love of their espousals, the kindness of their youth, how welcome the gospel and the grace of God were to them when they first received them. They were to remember, remember what you have heard and received. Fourthly, they were to hold fast and repent. To hold fast means to keep, to obey, It's not enough to remember what we have heard and how we heard it. We must also do it. We must obey. And you'll notice that the verb here is in the present tense, meaning it describes an ongoing action in the present. So it's like Jesus is saying, keep on holding fast. Keep on obeying the word. But that's not all. They were also to repent. The word repent means to go in the opposite direction, to have a change of mind resulting in a change of life. In other words, Jesus is saying, stop doing that which displeases God and start doing that which pleases him. This is not just something we do at the beginning of our walk with the Lord. This is something we must do again and again and again throughout our whole life. We must repent. We must confess our failures and our shortcomings to God. And by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we must learn to move in the right direction. And to impress this on us, our Lord issues a strong warning. It comes in verse 3. He says, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now, Here again, our Lord may be referencing the time when Sardis was captured by the Persians. At that time, too, they were caught off guard. And the Persians overran the city, while the people of Sardis, including many of its soldiers, were fast asleep. They were relying on their fortifications to keep them safe, but their trust was misplaced. And in a single night, the entire city was overrun by the enemy. And the same will happen to the church at Sardis and any other church that does not heed our Lord's warnings here. He will come in judgment when we least expect it, and when he does, no mercy will be shown. And dear friends, that warning comes also to us. Are there signs of deadness among us or in your church? Oh, then pay heed to the word of the Lord. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Remember how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If we refuse to do these things, then the Lord will come in judgment when we least expect it. And so our Lord came to this church at Sardis with a word of warning. 
but he also came to them with a word of encouragement. And that brings us to our third and final point. As I've already mentioned, not everyone in the church at Sardis was dead. Some were still alive. And our Lord knew this. And he says in verse 4, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Now you notice Jesus does not say, You have a few people. Instead, he says, You have a few names. And by means of that phrase, our Lord is assuring the believers at Sardis that he knows each one of them personally. He knows who they are and what they have done. He even knows their names. And to these people, our Lord makes several wonderful promises. He says, first of all, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, to walk with someone means to have a close relationship with that person. It means to enjoy fellowship and communion with that person. The color white symbolizes purity and holiness. And so what Jesus is saying is that his people in Sardis, the true believers among them, will enjoy communion with him in perfect holiness. That stands to reason, doesn't it? In order to walk with Christ, who is absolutely holy, we ourselves need to be holy. Now, by nature, we're not holy. Whatever holiness we had, we lost as a result of the fall in Adam. But the glorious message of the gospel is that when we come to faith in Christ, when we come to trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, that he imputes to us his righteousness so that we stand before God as though we never sinned. And what is more, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, who enables us to put sin to death in our lives and to walk in all holiness before the Lord. We're clothed, as it were, in the white robes, symbolizing the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And dressed in these robes, we can stand before God and even walk with him to all eternity. Secondly, Jesus says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, the Bible contains several references to the book of life. What is this book? Well, the book of life is a book that contains the names of all God's elect. And by saying that he will not remove their names from this book, our Lord is not teaching that we can lose our salvation. That's impossible. The believer can never lose his or her salvation. What we have here is a form of speech called latotes. A latotes is a roundabout way of saying something where a negative statement is used to express something positive. For example, if I say, her cooking isn't terrible exactly, what I mean to say is, her cooking is actually not that bad. Or if I say, he's not unlike his older brother, what I mean to say is, he's similar to his older brother. That's the case here as well. When Jesus says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, he means I will keep it there forever. No matter how far we may roam from God, no matter how dead we may become, he will never leave us nor forsake us, at least not utterly. Rather, he will abide with us forever and ultimately bring us to our heavenly home. But that's not all. Not only will he not blot out our names out of his book, he says, I will also confess his name 
before my Father and before his angels. Jesus here is anticipating what will happen on the day of judgment. On that day, every single person who ever lived will stand before God to be judged in the presence of his Father and the holy angels. Those who did not believe on him or live for him, he will deny. But those who did believe on him and those who did live for him, he will confess, meaning he will declare them to be his people and he will take them up to himself to live and reign with him forever. Oh, my friends, is that not wonderful? Here we learn that the Lord will not abandon his church completely. He will be merciful, if only to a remnant. And that means his church will never be extinguished. It will survive through thick and through thin, so that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. That explains why Christ identifies himself at the beginning of this letter as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit. He's called the seven spirits because seven is a number of fullness. So to say that the Holy Spirit is the seven spirits of God is simply to say that in him the fullness of God dwells. The seven stars are the angels or the pastors of the seven churches. They are said to be in his hand because they are accountable to him and under his control, but also they are protected by him. And so when our Lord says that he has the seven spirits and the seven stars, he's saying that he is able to send his spirit whenever and wherever he wants. Moreover, he is saying that through his spirit, he is able to equip his servants to proclaim his word, which when applied by the Holy Spirit can bring this and any dead church to life and make her a vibrant, fruit-producing branch in the vine of Christ. Well, how thankful we should be, dear friends, that that is the case. Beloved, he has us in his hand. And since that is so, Oh, let us not lose heart. There may be signs of deadness all around us, including in our own church and in our own hearts. But he has the seven spirits and the seven stars, and that gives us hope. Hope for our church and hope for ourselves. Therefore, let us look to him and cling to him until that day comes when there will be no more deadness, only life fullness of life, and we shall live and reign with him in perfect fellowship forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. And when you write to us, won't you please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you, free of charge, 
a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Pronk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope that it may be a rich blessing to you and your family. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages, but you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website. The website is www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.